No matter your politics, you've got to admit that it's weird times for America these days. I won't even get into it. Just turn on the news or open up a newspaper, which is old school, I know, but still my favorite way to keep up with current events. In these trying times, maybe what we need is a surge of patriotism. And maybe it's the kind of patriotism that you can only get from a young adult book written in 2002. How about Meg Cabot's All-American Girl? Coming back to this book for episode 83 did give me a little bit of those patriotic vibes. The story revolves around high school sophomore Samantha, better known as Sam, an angsty DC native who is trying to figure out how to communicate her strong feelings about the world around her. When we meet Sam, she's mostly doing it by badmouthing her popular big sister and dyeing all of her clothes black. But when she gains a national platform after saving the president from an assassination attempt, she has the opportunity to really make herself heard. Does she take the opportunity and use it wisely? You'll have to listen to this episode to find out. Over the next hour, you'll also find out how Sam uses her love of art to learn some bigger lessons and how she navigates two potential love interests. Her older sisters fight the man's skater boyfriend, Jack, and casually the president's son, David, who she meets in art class. You'll hear my guests and I share our thoughts about these love interests, consider the political aspects of All-American Girl and how they might be different in a book written in 2020, and draw parallels between this story and Meg Cabot's The Princess Diaries. We also discuss privilege and the fine line between being angsty and being annoying and reminisce on many aspects of our own teen lives. Listening to CDs at FYE, scoping out Sims expansion packs at Staples, obsessing over No Doubt, and so much more. My guest on this episode is Ashley Wolfgang. Ashley is currently the newsletter editor for Atlas Obscura, where she is thankful she gets to read and write about weird and wondrous places all day. In her free time, you can most likely find her going for runs, reading a fantasy novel, or yelling about the latest Netflix show she binged on Twitter. I am not at all exaggerating when I say that Ashley is one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. In fact, I am pretty sure I was creeping her out for a while there when I retweeted her approximately every day. You can follow her at Sweet Soleil. I am so grateful to Ashley for being a guest on the show and for taking her guest responsibilities a step further by putting together a Spotify playlist inspired by All-American Girl. How cool is that? I'll be posting a link to the playlist on my Instagram stories this week, but you can also find it in the show notes for this episode at www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen slash episode 83. Happy listening! If you want to more casually stumble upon a link to that playlist, and lots of other fun things too, be sure that you're following SSR on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. If you love what you're hearing, please share this episode on your Instagram story or leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes. You probably get sick of me asking for this on every episode, but I promise it serves a purpose. Spreading the word about the show. You can also spread the SSR love by rocking our merch. Shop stickers, bookmarks, tote bags, and t-shirts at www.ssrpodcast.com shop. There is one more great way for you to support the podcast, and I'd love for you to consider it. Patreon sponsors contribute a few dollars each month. Actually, you can contribute just $1 per month if you want to the production of the show, and they get some awesome rewards in return. Don't forget that SSR is a totally independent operation, so Patreon contributions are hugely impactful and very appreciated. If you want to learn how to join the community of supporters and to get merch, bonus episodes, newsletters, and more fun things while you're at it, visit www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page. Patreon sponsors tuning in now, thank you so much for all that you do. I have a great little tip to share with all you audiobook listeners out there. Have you checked out Libra FM? If you haven't, you should, especially since I have a discount code to help you try it at a great price. 
Libra.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libra.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. As always, SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libra.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted to take advantage of that discount. Recently, I've been listening to the latest Julie Andrews memoir, Homework, on Libra.fm, and I'm really loving it. Julie Andrews herself reads on the audiobook, and her voice is so beautiful and so relaxing, and I'm learning so much about the early days of Hollywood. Highly recommend. Time to switch gears to the early aughts of Washington, D.C., a.k.a. Meg Cabot's All-American Girl. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covering rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to SSR. Hello, thank you so much. You and I didn't plan this, but I'm realizing as we are starting to record that this is kind of the Valentine's Day 2020 episode of SSR, which is appropriate because we're talking about a book with a little bit of a romance flavor, right? A lot of boy drama. Yeah, maybe boy drama is a better way to put it than romance flavor. I think that's that's more accurate. So we're, we're talking about Meg Cabot's All-American Girl. It was published in 2002. I was 12. I did read it. I'm kind of trying to place like how old I was when I read it, if I read it right when it came out. I was a huge Princess Diaries fan. So um, I'm sure that I was like quick to realize that this book came out. Although sometimes when I think back on my childhood and teen years and realized that like there was no social media or a bookstagram or twitter to like alert me to the release of new books I guess I just went to the bookstore and would have been like oh wow Meg Cabot the author of the princess diaries just wrote another book so I think I must have picked it up relatively quickly and I think I liked it it's not one that sticks out in my head but it is a book that several people have brought up to me as something that they wanted to have discussed on the podcast and it's a book that you brought to me as well so I'd love to hear a little bit about your history with it maybe any memories you have of reading it when you were a kid yeah of course. So I think I was probably around 11 when it came out, but I specifically remember like reading it, I think around like fifth or sixth grade, I think. I definitely was in high school. And for some reason, I just have like this memory of reading this book like multiple times. Like I had bought the book and for some reason, I just really, I guess, felt akin to Sam, the main character's character. Um, we can talk more later about <laughs> her voice, um, but I just thought she was like so cool like with all her like music interests and everything. And I just kind of just like really aspired, I think, to be her reading it. Cause I just remember just picking this book up multiple times when I was younger, but when <laughs> I guess now reading back a lot of that, I question why, but it's just a really fun book. And I think rereading it was a lot of fun. And I just, it, 
was really quick read. I probably like read it in like a day. But yeah, I just have a specific like memory of I think being at my grandmother's house in Canada and just consuming this book and just really just loving the story and the whole roller coaster of it all. It was a really fun read as an adult. As listeners know, I tend to read some things that feel a little bit more <clears throat> literary for the podcast, which is great, and mm-hmm. I enjoy those as well. But it was fun to have this like colorful mass market paperback in my hands. I don't think this is the original cover, but the cover that I'm that I found this time around has these like neon stars all over it and I was actually reading it when I was with my family over New Year's so similarly I was just kind of like cozied up with people I love and like breezing through this book um, and it was kind of like a breath of fresh air with some of the other reading that I've been doing both personally and for the podcast so while I don't have distinct memories of reading it when I was younger this was really fun um, and so I have some feelings about it that are like less fun but the reading experience itself I really enjoyed so thank you for picking this one it was a great way to kick off my year of reading of course yeah this is actually also the first book I read this year so yeah it's a good start to 2020 I think so you mentioned Sam's voice so our main character is Samantha she's 15 and I do think that one of the things that Meg Cabot is so good at I mean we saw it in the Princess Diaries as well is creating these characters that are so distinct and feel relatable in a lot of ways and they're funny um love them or hate them they're really funny and the voice is really special and authentic so you said you related to Sam and you thought that the voice was kind of one of a kind tell me a little bit more about that did you feel the same way coming back to it now as an adult some of it I just I really like I guess the juxtaposition between like her lists and how she kind of like uses those lists to kind of just plot out her maybe like her neuroses a little bit and just kind of like these crazy thoughts that she has in her head and I thought that was really fun um just kind of reading that again but she was just so dramatic and it just kind of it got like very like you know I had the same outline and the same like punch at the end that the last one would be like the most like over dramatic point that had nothing to do with the rest and just was like so overblown but I loved it because I think like as a teen you always have those kind of thoughts where you're just like oh my gosh like you know you have like all these like greater things going on in your life but you're just like but no I'm never going to be like Gwen Stefani I feel like it's just like those are the things that like and kind of made me remember that like oh yeah like you do like hyper focus on these like really like non non like quintessential things and I think that's really relatable just because you know you have these things that you focus on and I think it was kind of fun to go back and kind of like the mind of a teenage girl a little bit just to kind of remember that like oh yeah these things don't matter at the time <laughs> I thought they did they seemed so important yeah so <laughs> Ashley is referencing these lists that are sort of peppered throughout the book and excuse any page turning listeners but I have to share at least like the title of the first one um the title of the first list which is also the first page of the book is here are the top 10 reasons why I can't stand my sister Lucy which is a just like a funny way to like start a book but also I think so relatable for so many kids like siblings are hard when you're growing up and especially when you're a middle child like Sam is like she kind of has it from both sides she has her sister Lucy who's older and like the most most popular girl at school she really can't connect with her she just like grates on her all the time and then she has a younger sister Rebecca who is really smart and that's kind of her thing she goes to this school for gifted kids we we don't get that much of Rebecca like she's not quite as much of a player as Lucy but I just love that like that's the first list we get and as you said like it gets more dramatic as she goes through all 10 items like she has subcategories it's in like full outline form under item five there's an a b c d e f um so she like is really thinking through 
all of these list items. And as you mentioned, I think that this is really relatable. Like on and off when I was growing up, I journaled never with the consistency that I dreamed that I could, but I did journal mm-hmm. at different points throughout my, my sort of teenage life and my tweendom. Um, and lists were a really great way to do that. And I think it's a really great way to get at the heart of a character too, because like the narrative is great, of course, but you sort of get to like the sense of humor that these characters have in these different kinds of formats. There's another book that Meg Cabot wrote, and I can't remember if it's like technically a YA book or an adult book, but it's called The Boy Next Door. And it's all in like emails and IMs. And I read it when I was in high school and that I remember very clearly. And so in a similar way, you know, it's not a straight narrative. We're getting into the mind of these characters by like reading their emails, their IMs between not only like the two main characters who have the love interest, but also the friends and the family members. So I love when authors kind of turn the traditional book format on its head. And Meg Cabot does a great job with that in this book. To your point also, I think the thing that's tricky about a character like Sam and coming back to her as an adult is that figuring out that line between sort of relatable teen drama and angst is tough. And We found the same thing when we did an episode about The Princess Diaries, which was way back in episode like two or three, I think. So I'll link that in the show Mm -hmm. notes. But my guest, Haley, and I had both loved Mia when we were teenagers, especially Mia in the movie, because like we both had such clear memories of going to see that movie. But the book too. And coming back to her as adults, we struggled with her. And it's so hard because like I I don't want to be too critical of her, A, because she's a character and and a really fun book, but also because she's a teen girl and I don't want to invalidate the experience that Meg Cabot is trying to share because so many people have gone through some of those things where, like, as you said, it feels like so many things are so significant, even though we as adults can say that they're not. And she does have an attitude that I don't always find, like, easy to read, but at, at the same time, like, I know how it felt to be a teen and to, like, feel this tendency to have that kind of attitude so I I think books like this that are sort of meant to be contemporary in nature and meant to be super voicey are sometimes hard to come back to as a grown-up because like you don't want to be too critical of the characters but it's a little hard not to be yeah I know I totally get that too and especially when she when it goes deeper into lists there's like one in particular where um she's like comparing herself to her sister Lucy's boyfriend for listeners his name is Jack and it's just she gets gets into like these like very very meticulous like over dramatic things and you're just kind of like there's so many points where I just wanted to shake her and be like stop you know I feel um like you said going back it's like really hard to kind of like center yourself back into that place and I felt like I kept finding myself getting lost in the book. Like, oh, this is so fun. But then she would say something like, oh, I can't think of a quote right now. But, like, she would just say something and you're just like, okay, she needs to, like, wake up a little bit and you just kind of remember. But that's probably what every adult around you also was like. So I think it's kind of fun to go back at it that way. But Yeah, it's hard. I have a couple of quotes that I pulled out. So as listeners know, okay, one, perfect. one of the things <laughs> that annoys me the most about Kidlet like across the decades. So this is not a Meg Cabot specific thing. It drives me crazy. Um, and I think we see it in like teen movies and teen TV as well. But this idea that like as long as somebody is pegged as a quote unquote mean girl, it's okay for the nice girl to be mean to them and to be judgmental about them and to talk about them in a really nasty way with their other 
quote, nice friends. Like, it's okay mm-hmm. to be mean as long as we're meant to believe that the other person is, like, the actual mean person. And there was a lot of that with Mia Thermopolis in The Princess Diaries. And Sam has some of those tendencies, too. And her sister is a target of a lot of that because mm-hmm. her sister Lucy is described as this, like, sort of typical stereotypical archetypical cheerleader and all that that can represent in all kinds of teen pop culture and she loves clothes and she's really into her boyfriend and I have a bunch of quotes about sort of like Sam's condescending attitude toward all of that but she also does not like this other like popular girl in her grade whose name is Chris Parks and Chris was actually her best friend when they were really young and Chris did turn out to be like really mean and she did some quite like evil and nasty things to Sam directly so I understand her feelings basically what happened was that Sam and her family moved abroad for one of her parents jobs um, and while she was gone some of her sort of speech patterns deteriorated because they were around people speaking other languages and so when she came back she had to go to speech and hearing lessons and Chris bullied her about that in front of other kids at school which is horrible and is a bully move for sure but this is now years ago and Sam is like talking about how horrible Chris is and like judging Chris's values so this isn't even the worst thing that she said but I did pull out this one thing where she was like people like Chris maybe because she was never forced to attend speech and hearing lessons much less a school where no one spoke the same language she did cannot seem to grasp the concept of being nice to anyone who is not size five blonde and decked out in Abercrombie and Fitch from head to toe in other words anyone who is not Chris Parks and I guess that isn't even like that nasty about her but again I just feel like there's this air of judgment and a lot of the things that Sam says to and about both Chris and her sister Lucy and I struggle with that I think that's sometimes where I kind of like really have to get over the hump with a character in like a contemporary teen book just because I'm like it doesn't make sense to me that you get to say those kinds of things about someone when the whole point is that they're supposed to be like the evil one and I guess that's sort of what it is to be a teen like I think if we all are honest with ourselves even if we felt like we were the hero of every story when we were teenagers and you know there was that popular kid at school who was the villain we probably said some really mean things about them but it's just something that like has gotten on my nerves the more of these books I read. Yeah, I totally get that too. But I feel like as an adult, you don't really, of course, you're not going to judge somebody on like the brands of clothes that they're wearing and stuff. But I think to your point too, like it is pretty cruel to say that. And I think like as an adult, we have that, I guess, the privilege of having that perspective or like that growth. But I think totally like, because I think this book in general too is such like a capsule of the early 2000s in which the stuff, the pulse culture references and a lot of the clothing brands, like you said, they, they noted like Abercrombie and Fitch like so many times. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know what teens wear these days. So who knows if they're still making judgments about Amazon that, fashion, probably. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I like, it's so cool, but I like, I do like, I felt myself like reading that, like, oh yeah, like those are the kind of judgments, like, you know, friends would make and it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to separate from it. It's it's hard with books like this. So Sam is like a really interesting character. So let's talk about some of the cool things about her. So she loves No Doubt. I found some criticism in like, you know, sort of more current reviews of the book, more like bloggers that are coming back to it, that we're talking about the fact that all of the pop culture references age the book to the point where it's like maybe not as enjoyable as it could be. And and I see that in some books, but I, I actually didn't find that it was off-putting in this book. Like it was just enough. And maybe it's because I grew up in the same era and was like only a couple of years older than Sam, um, you know, if we're talking real time here. So it felt to me like I was 
experiencing my own high school days again. So that didn't bother me. I can see how it might bother a kid coming to this book for the first time now or, you know, how it might prevent them from really, like, connecting with the character because so much of Sam's identity is in Gwen Stefani and, like, Doc Martin. You know, I guess people still wear Doc Martens now, but so much of her identity is wrapped up in, like, what she's experiencing in that time in 2002. So I get that, but I really like that about Sam. She is on this, like... (laughs) path to really like mourn for her generation so she's dyed all of her clothes black which you know I'm like a little bit over over the top but I appreciate the commitment and I think it's cool that she didn't like go out and buy all black clothes like she took what she had and she dyed them so that's cool a lot of effort a lot of effort her mom was definitely super mad at her she only eats hamburgers which like these are the details in a YA book that I think are really fun and like they're so wacky but I guess some people can probably relate to them and it just makes it fun to get to know a character so I like stuff like that and she's a great artist which is cool and she knows that she's a great artist so I like that like she knows sort of where her skills are I think she understands that she has some natural gifts it like makes her happy to be drawing she talks a lot about how like when she's drawing or painting like nothing else can bother her I like that idea that like we have a teen who understands like what her coping mechanisms are like she knows that if her parents and her sisters are bothering her if she goes to her room and draws like she'll be happy and she'll sort of de-stress that's very cool and I think too often like teens aren't really encouraged to embrace the stuff they're good at and I like that she's figured this out already by 15. Yeah no I love that too although initially you know her art classes were given to her as like a punishment which I felt that was a great punishment but of course you know because it's something she's forced to do and a teen when they're forced to do something they're gonna hate it but like I really love that about her too and her quirkiness about drawing on the Doc Martens I thought like drawing in your shoes really like brought me back to like you know like doodling on your converse and all that back then and I love that idea and then I love that that was like kind of like a quirk of hers that was brought up but like you said too I feel like a lot of her quirks kind of like showed her growth throughout like the novel too which like I really liked I guess given um with art class too you're like it this is also like I loved it but it was like so cheesy but I think it's like reading it now I guess it's so heavy-handed just the whole art class motif of drawing what you see yes at the time it seemed super deep though you were like whoa (laughs) like wow and then like it comes up again and again and now like every time it came up in the well we reading and I was like oh my god (laughs) yeah it comes up again and again so For listeners who have not read this book or are unfamiliar with the story or don't remember it, to sort of sum up Sam's experience in art class, as Ashley mentioned, her her sort of like start to art class is a punishment because her sister Lucy outs her for drawing these, I find, hilarious like celebrity pictures for her classmates so in German class and she's getting a C minus in German she's basically like started this little side hustle where her classmates come to her with like a fave celebrity so her friend is obsessed with Heath Ledger RIP and so Sam has been drawing pictures of her with Heath Ledger and she started charging other people in the class I actually think she was way ahead of her time because I'm sure this is something that you can now get on Etsy um, or somewhere else so I thought that that was a funny detail but her sister tells on her and because she's not getting a good grade in the class her parents are like okay this isn't gonna fly you're gonna go to art class and as you said like that's actually kind of a great 
punishment on their part because it's something that she doesn't want to do, but it's actually very productive for her. So that was sort of a smart way for them to like make it clear to her that they were not pleased with what she was doing, but also to like make something worth her time. So she goes to art class and they do this still life with fruit, which is I think like the most stereotypical like art (laughs) assignment. I've never taken an art class like this, but I feel like that's what you see again in every like movie, TV show or book. And (laughs) Sam feels really good about it. She's like, damn, mine's the only good one. Like this kid David's is fine, but like, I'm so good, um, which I like to a point. But yeah, she like adds her own fruit to it too, and she's like, "I'm just gonna make it even better." And you're like, "Okay, like yeah." She feels so good about it, and then after she said, "I hoped Susan Boone wouldn't make too big a deal out of how much better my drawing was than everybody else's," I didn't want to make anybody feel bad. Um, and so I was like, "Okay, I get that you're confident, but like, let's not let's just not be mean to everybody else again. Like, we can yeah. be nice to your classmates." So. <laughs> Susan Boone is not impressed uh, at all. Susan Boone says, what you've drawn here is your idea of how grapes should look, not the grapes that are actually in front of us. And so she basically is like, you need to learn to draw what you see, not what you know. And of course, as an adult, as soon as I read that, I highlighted it, underlined it, started. I was like, okay, this is going to end up being like the thing. This is the lesson that Sam's going to learn. It's not going to be about the grapes. It's going to be about everything else in her life. And uh, like you said, it comes up again and again. Like it comes up in the context of her art. It's a conversation that she has with Lucy's boyfriend who is like her dreamboat who she's obsessed with who's also an artist it comes up later on with David who is like her other potential love interest the president's son casually then it sort of morphs into a conversation about hearing versus listening and seeing people and situations right in front of you and whether you're actually paying attention to them so like this is sort of the seed that grows into like all of Sam's revelations and obviously this is skipping to the end but like when I think about how that saying manifests throughout the book and thinking more about Sam's character when we meet her I think that like what I connected to in Sam is that she's in her head a lot and I was like that as a teen and I'm like that still as an adult and so I think like for me what I saw Sam learning was that you know she sort of had all of these ideas about how things were supposed to be in her life how things were supposed to be in society like what's right, what's wrong, what makes somebody cool, what makes somebody not cool. And she was living in her head. She was creating a lot of situations um, instead of actually like paying attention to what was going on. And, And she sort of was like, she was an intellectual in an interesting way because she was coming up with ideas about things, but not necessarily being an observer of the real world. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's probably more tangible ways that we see her grow and see her take on this lesson. But to me, like, that's how I saw Susan Boone's critique kind of like growing and evolving and expanding throughout the whole story. Yeah, I actually, I kind of wish like there was more of the art teacher, I guess, when I was reading back because like she'd had that like initial like big kind of lesson that she handed to, you know, Sam and the reader. But she like comes back in spurts when she's like actually in our class and when she's not yeah and then there's a scene later which I guess we'll talk about when yeah it's relevant she lays down some serious wisdom again at the end yeah. but you're right we don't see yeah. that much of her in between which makes sense for you know like a YA book like the adults in the book aren't very present I guess and they're just pop up here and then which I thought was interesting but yeah yeah there are a few things that I could have used less of like the the back and forth with Jack and David it, there was so much like I feel like we could have lost like 30 to 40 pages of that and it would have been fine like all of Sam's angst about like Jack David David Jack Jack's great no he sucks David's great no he's teasing me I love Jack I hate Jack it went on a little long for me and I think it might 
go on long even for a teen reader. Like, I don't know that that's just my adult self-talking. I don't remember being that taken with either of the dudes. And we'll talk more about them as we as we go, obviously. But mm-hmm. I will say that, like, I would have preferred to have more art teacher and maybe, like, a little bit less of that drama. Yeah, I think so, too. I think, I mean, even for, like, a smart, you know, very capable, like, in-tune teen, as, like, we have kind of see her as or read her as, yeah. I feel like she took a long time to, like, realize that Jack, her, you know sister's boyfriend is not the guy for her and I was just like I thought it was cute at first you know but also a lot of it I think this is just as an adult reading the book too we're like well your sister's dating him so wouldn't that be weird if you would start dating him like that's your first problem and then we'll dive into all of the other problems about him so like let's just shift our focus shall we yeah Uh, yeah yeah. that that part and like the big sister in me was very much like screaming inside as I was reading this book and being like do you not see all of these red flags but it takes her a long time to figure out so would have loved more Susan in less Jack that's not what happened mm-hmm. in fact Sam is so frustrated with the feedback that she got from Susan that she decides to ditch her second art class and she goes to a record store um, which is like such a cliche thing to do that doesn't mean that it's any less cool but I love that that was like the touch that Meg Cabot put in like yeah like cool girls go hang out at record stores and they're Doc Martens I definitely wanted to go to record stores after reading this book like I would just go into like Radio Shack or whatever at the mall and be like yeah this is the place and yeah buying random records and I used to go to FYE and that was like one of my favorite spots and they had what seemed at the time to be like a very high-tech thing where like you could scan the barcode um at these like little terminals kind of throughout the store and then it would play like a clip you could put on these like huge ass headphones but like bigger than my podcasting headphones that I'm wearing right now and they would play like a very small clip of one song on the CD and that I was like oh this is so cool oh my gosh yeah I actually why do they say Radio Shack Sam Good that was the oh, one. Oh yeah, Sam Goody too. Yeah, they they did the playing like thirty seconds of a song, and then you would just sit there and listen to like as much as an album as you could and love it. Yeah, Radio Shack was good for like browsing computer games though. Like when yeah. I was going through my heavy roller coaster tycoon and Sims <gasps> phase, it was like yes. go to Staples or go to Radio Shack and browse the aisles and just like covet all of the expansion packs. Wow, those are the days. I know, we're really, really, we're taking a lovely walk down memory lane today, Um, (laughs) and I wanted to be right there with Sam. I don't know that I ever hung out at, like, an actual record store, and that's kind of where it seems Sam is, but she's there, and she notices this, like, kind of suspicious guy listening to a lot of Uptown Girl. I think it's a great song, but he does seem to like it more than most would. She was right, he is a suspicious character, and she happens to catch him in an assassination attempt on the president. As a reminder, I don't know that we've even mentioned yeah, but this takes place in Washington, D.C., which I, I love. I went to school in Washington, D.C., so I loved, like, just remembering the ever-presence of, like, the president, just kind of, like, maybe being wherever you were. Um, mm-hmm. And Sam saves his life. She tackles Uptown Girl Guy, and uh, he falls on her arm in the process. She breaks her arm, but he does misfire his gun, and the president lives and isn't injured, um, and she is a hero. The best part about that scene, though, is that her number one concern is that her parents are going to find out that she cut art class. Like, again, we have <laughs> maybe 20 to 30 pages of her sort of inner monologue about, like, cool, great, I know I just 
saved the life of a president. That was awesome of me. I'm so brave. But also, like, are you going to tell my mom? And yeah, something she's that like, I, please don't call my yeah, parents. Please don't call like, my well, parents. <laughs> Please don't call them. Um, she's like, oh, I need a cast. I'm sorry. I can't have a cast because then my mom will know. I think that you're not thinking through this. Like, your mom's going to have to come to the hospital. Like, you're even if you, your best case scenario is that you're going to sh- just show up at home with a cast. Your worst case scenario is that they're going to call your parents, tell them to meet you at the hospital so that they can put the cast on you. And honestly, they're just going to be so happy that you're alive. Obviously, that like, probably the art class thing is going to be the last on their list. It was, that was so real and like so true of being 15. But I was thinking about how, how different this book would be or how different these events would have played out in a 2020 world with cell phones. And the fact that like she did not have easy access to her parents. Like I think she was asking the paramedics and like trying to figure out who of maybe the president's group was going to call her parents and like she didn't really know how to get in touch with them and then throughout the book too I was like somebody would have tweeted about this or like you know it's interesting to me now and thinking about what the teen landscape is like or what I've heard it's like that like there's no Instagram that's like putting additional pressure on them or I think that this scene with her worrying about getting in touch with her parents was my first reminder that this is a different world in 2002 and then I was thinking about that on and off throughout the book. Yeah no I thought that too I actually from that scene I just like had this like memory and I I think I had this memory just of the book from when um, I read it for the first time too because it felt like a weird de- deja vu that scene like I remembered it reading it for the first time so clearly and I thought it was so funny just she, the way she writes like the secret service guy just like looking at her after she was just like oh like don't tell my mom and he's just like well we need them here so we can question you <laughs> right. and then she's like casually says oh maybe like they think I I also like am part of the assassination attempt and then she just shifts her focus back again to like skipping our class and I love that well, it's just so interesting, like, what you hyper-focus on and, like, sort of mm-hmm. what you think is going to be the most important thing when you're 15. And, like, mm-hmm. what's the worst consequence? Where is, like, the source of the worst consequence? To her, the worst potential consequence is getting in trouble from her parents. When, like, at a macro level, no, the worst potential consequence would have been, like, the president of the United States being shot and you having been on the scene and having to witness that. Because, like, yes, the president could have potentially lost his life, but she also would have been wildly traumatized by being a bystander to that. So I just think it's interesting. Like your perspective is just obviously so different when you're 15. Yeah. No, I love that too. And there's a scene later on, I think at the hospital with her family where she's really worried about just like her being embarrassed that everyone like knows what happened um, back at school. And I think like, I think it's maybe Lucy, her sister who like says like everyone in the world knows already. Yeah. But then I was thinking about that too, where I'm like, Oh, is everyone just watching the news? Cause I think that's just how you really found things out back then or the radio (laughs) yeah no that's so true because now it would have everybody literally would have known because somebody just would have posted it on instagram and then everybody would have shared it or tweeted it yeah yeah exactly i mean it definitely would have like traveled a little bit more slowly in 2002 and i I, maybe all teens watched the news with their parents i don't know i didn't definitely not definitely not (laughs) yeah so but this is where i think we start to get more shades of the princess diaries and i didn't pick up on that as much as as much when i was a teen like i remember thinking this was like wildly different from the princess diaries but sam has now assumed like some level of national fame because Obviously, she thwarted an assassination attempt, and so um, there are all of these news stations that are courting interviews with her, and, like, her face is now very familiar to a lot of people just from, like, basic news coverage, and she's learning to deal with that, and it's hard for her, and, like, similar to Mia in 
the princess diaries people want to give her a makeover in this case we have lucy who's like you can't be seen like this in public like if you're going to be doing interviews like you have to not wear black all the time and like let me help you wear clothes that are a little bit more flattering and in a lot of ways it's it's just self-serving for lucy because lucy is apparently like getting told by her friends that like her sister must be in a cult if that's how she looks on tv like wearing all black so yes lucy is self-serving but like she i think at some level is trying to help Sam and like trying to boost her confidence a little bit and suddenly Sam is getting all of these social offers that she wasn't getting before later on in the book Chris Parks invites her to her big party which felt very reminiscent to me of in the Princess Diaries when there's like that weird like beach party that Mia wouldn't really have been invited to otherwise and that popular guy invites her to go as his date and it's just like a publicity thing similarly Chris Parks really only wants Sam to come to her party because she thinks that the first son is going to be her date so this is I think where like Meg Cabot sort of has figured out this formula around like plucking her female high school characters from a state of anonymity and like putting them on some national stage and then lining up different ways that that's going to complicate their life. She chooses to create these characters that don't necessarily want the social capital that comes with like being a princess or being a national hero. No, I totally like was thinking about those parallels too. And I also like, it made me kind of think too about like the wider, like there's like a wider trend in the early 2000s where there just was a lot of like either royalty movies with teen dramas or like directly like presidential like rom-coms with like presidential children yeah like do you remember the movie my date with the president's daughter i do remember that movie i really liked that one and chasing liberty do you remember that one i I wrote that one down too yeah Mm -hmm. i was like i kept thinking about those parallels of just like you know the daughters of like presidents or sons just like Well, there's a glamour to that. And I think like the Princess Diaries was so exciting to all of these American girls because obviously like royalty and like European royalty, I think in particular is like, this feels so far removed from anything that we know here in the US. And I don't know, you know, sort of which came first. I think the Princess Diaries came before all of those movies, but it's almost like filmmakers and, and other authors and other creators caught on to this idea that like, oh, well, we could figure out how to sort of create like a similar vibe within the American structure. I don't know that it worked as well as Princess Diaries, but I feel like there was sort of some trend, as you said, to like, how do we figure out like the equivalent of royalty in almost any situation and like focus on it and make it really cool and glamorous and and maybe even involve like your standard, average, normal, everyday high schooler in that world. Yeah, um, exactly. And I liked what you put, um, what you said before, like how like all these characters are like just very strongly like in this hole of anonymity. And I feel like just the juxtaposition of it all, like, oh, they might maybe want to be popular like maybe they don't but they just kind of want to be seen in a way but then instead they're like seen in the most like over dramatic and just kind of like blatant way that's just kind of like puts it on its head like oh yeah you can be popular but then everyone in the country or the world can now know your name you know yeah well and I think what's interesting about Sam even more so than Mia is that at least the way she talks about it Sam really has like zero interest in popularity or what other people think I mean she goes to Chris's party but primarily because her best friend Catherine wants to go and she and Catherine have this conversation where Catherine's basically like well haven't you ever thought about what it would be like to be popular like I get that you don't care but maybe I do she says I just really want for once in my life to see what it feels like to be you know part of the in crowd haven't you ever wondered and Sam like continues to push back on her which I thought was was interesting and I like really admire her tenacity with this like line of thought and I really admire that she's sticking to her guns on it 
it. But I also like sometimes I just like don't buy it. And not just with her, but like in all forms of media, it's like maybe it's not about popularity, but it is hard for me to understand that like she's so resistant to even like talking to more kids at school. Like I just think that she really wants to isolate. And I don't know, do you think like anybody actually is that sort of strong in their desire to be completely isolated? Or do you think it's a front? I think it was a little bit of a front. I mean, I think later in the novel, I keep calling it a novel. Um, it's a novel. I think I later, yeah, it's a novel. Okay. Yeah. Um, the lit major in me is like, it's a novel. Um, anyway, side <laughs> note. <laughs> I wasn't a lit major, so I can call it a novel and you can call it a novel with me. <laughs> But yeah, I think like later in the book, like it's kind of like she has this aside where she's like, oh, like I don't really like dress in black as much anymore um, after everything. And I feel like it maybe was a front. And I think like a lot of it's shown in a way that like maybe part of it was all to like kind of impress Jack, like Lucy's boyfriend, to be like, I'm your perfect person because I'm going to like be this projection of like who I think you want. Um, And it's like who she thinks he is, you know, and I feel like but I feel like that's just being a teenage girl too it's a lot of it's very much projection like yeah you're gonna like wear like a t-shirt of a band of like a boy that a boy likes because you want them to notice you and like I feel like a lot of it I guess that front of it was like very like real and I think very relatable but um like you said a lot of it was just like so like just like kind of nagging herself in a way and digging herself in this hole of just like no I'm just me and yeah I think she just also wants to be in opposition to everything that Lucy is which I think happens in a lot of families I come from a family of sisters sometimes I think that we had stuff like that going on at different points while we were growing up everybody sort of like found their way now but I do think like my sis you know I'm much older than my sisters but my sisters who are closer together I think sometimes like they were they were playing off of each other and like sometimes making choices based on what others of them were doing or not doing and I think Mm -hmm. that's very normal and I think that that's part of what Sam's identity is coming from is like I want to be what my sister isn't and you know there's so much literature about like the middle child thing and I think that probably plays out to to different degrees in different families but I really think that Meg Cabot plays that up in this book quite a bit there's even a point where Sam kind of does this like breakdown of some I don't know where she read it but she kind of like describes each of the sisters based on a a description that she saw somewhere so she says middle child aka me (laughs) lost in the shuffle never gets what she wants kid most likely to end up teen runaway living on leftover Big Macs scrounged from dumpsters behind the local McDonald's for weeks before anyone even notices she's gone which like okay sometimes I do feel like she fails to acknowledge her privilege which is something that I think has not is not was not really like part of the conversation in 2002 I don't know that authors sort of like felt maybe pressure to have their like white middle class or upper middle class characters way more than upper middle class they have a housekeeper who like essentially her nanny I think like she comes from like a very privileged background which like isn't always like noted and then they just say like casual things like yeah they spent a year in Morocco and yeah but she'll (laughs) also casually sometimes be like you know here I am like in a record store broke and I I just think that like that's dicier now than it used to be I think it would not be cool for a YA author to allow their character to be so blind to their own privilege. I just think that that has sort of moved out of being okay, and I'm very okay with that. So yeah, I think that that the middle child thing has really 
dictated a lot of who Sam is, which I love like a good sibling story. And I, one of the things that I liked most about this book is that yes, we have like all of the boy drama. I think that Sam goes on a really interesting personal journey, but I also like the journey that she takes with her sisters as somebody who has sisters. I really enjoyed that. It's almost like when the movie frozen came out and it was like, yeah, there's like princess in it, but it's also a love story between the sisters. Um, and that's sort of how I felt about this book, because even though they were rarely on good terms, like I think that there was a definite upward trend in where their relationship was going so I like that but let's talk about the boys oh yeah let's talk about them let's talk about the boys Jack while I I really dislike him was possibly (laughs) my most favorite character in the book because he is hilarious he's a hilarious caricature of every teenage boy that you've ever met who thought that he was too cool for everything and like too cool for not only school but also society and humanity in general (laughs) he made me laugh so hard and when I was going through to like just gather some notes for our conversation some of the quotes that I found of his when I was reading them in isolation sort of separate from the rest of the narrative I was legitimately laughing out loud no, I loved his character. Love I think him. his character, um, it's very much, you know, like in, in a lot of teen movies, he's like the first crush, the first boyfriend, because he's like bad and dark and, you know, like troubled. Yeah. Or he um, wants people to think he is. But as you mentioned, yeah. like, he's probably just as wealthy as Sam and Lucy. And a lot of his character, like I couldn't, I couldn't help like picturing him as like Timothy Chalamet and Ladybird, yeah. like that kind of like reading like a book in the corner, like totally painting in the corner, brooding. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of feelings. And as we mentioned, he is Lucy's boyfriend um, when we meet this whole family. And Sam is obsessed with him. She truly believes that he is her one true love. And I, as the older sister in my family, as the oldest, like that's not something that I ever experienced. But I, again, I think these are all like fairly common sibling dynamics, but she really like could not stop thinking about him. I mean, she was pretty obsessed. And as we said, like, I think a lot of the decisions she was making were about making herself appealing to him because she like doesn't understand why he's interested in somebody like Lucy, who is so opposite. I will say, like, it was sort of hard for me to buy into the Lucy-Jack relationship because I'm like, first Mm -hmm. of all, Lucy's friends would have had no patience for a guy like Jack. I mean, the sort of stereotypical bad boy thing I think is fun for, like, a little while, but it seemed like they'd been dating for a while. Yeah, I got that kind of feeling, too, like, that they were just, like, in a, like, kind of a serious relationship, but also, like, I don't think Jack would have, like, dealt with Lucy's friends either, like... Yeah, true. It probably went both ways. Yeah, I just... I didn't get it. Like, it seemed like they were serious. They knew each other's families. I just... I didn't quite get it, but I was glad he was around for a lot of reasons. always around. Like, it seemed like he was just, like, always at their house. I think he lived there. Yeah. It seemed that way. (laughs) Their parents were not happy, which is one of the things that Sam likes the best about him, is that their parents don't approve, which is like her dream to have a boyfriend that their parents disapprove of. (laughs) Which is not an emotion that I can connect to at all. But the other thing that they have in common is that Jack is also an artist. And one of the reasons that Sam fights so hard against Susan Boone's advice is that Jack is really opposed to it. He says, where would we be if Picasso had only drawn what he saw? You draw from your heart. If your heart says put in a pineapple, then you put in a pineapple. Don't let the establishment tell you what to do. Don't let others dictate how and what you draw. Dude. His perspective is that like, you just got to fight the establishment. Whatever the establishment is, fight it. And there was one quote that I pulled out that I thought was sort of interesting on Sam's part, where I do think she recognizes that Jack's in sort of a unique position to 
fight the establishment, he says to her, you can't let the establishment win. You've got to fight against the system. And then Sam says, that's easy for Jack to say. Jack is six foot four and weighs over 200 pounds. He was courted by our school football coach after the team's best linebacker moved to Dubai. No, Jack is convinced that sports like the lottery only serve to lull the proletariat into a false sense of hope that he might one day rise above his bud swilling pickup truck driving peers. It is very easy for a guy like Jack to fight against the system. I love that. And I feel like that's like a very sort of like 2019, 2020 perspective. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think a lot of that, a lot of those, like, anecdotes, like, kind of made him, like, very real. I mean, even though he was a character, caricature, but, like, you, everyone, like, knows Jack mm-hmm. or, like, has had a Jack in their life. It's kind of you just want to, like, shake Sam for, like, right. liking this guy, but of course she's going to like him, you know? Yeah, that's why he's yeah. there. But it's like, what are you thinking? And then there's David, who, he was a student in her art class, but she did not realize at the time that he also happens to be the son of the president, and she makes the connection later on when, after saving the president's life, her family is invited to have dinner at the White House, and she's like, oh, that was the kid that was wearing the Save Ferris t-shirt in my art class. So she's, mm-hmm. like, of course, interested in that, because at the beginning, when she was, like, walking into this art class as a stranger, his Say Ferris t-shirt made her think that maybe that was somebody that she might at least be comfortable talking to because he's also like edgy. He and also said that he loved her boots. Oh, her right. Her Martins with the daisies drawn on them with white out, which I love that antidote. Yeah, <laughs> well, I feel like that was definitely a thing. I remember like using white out on everything to make designs. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's a very cool thing to use white out. I, it was the only time in my life that I ever bought white out was like middle school. Um, have not bought <laughs> it since then but I I have to say like you know David I think is set up to sort of be everything that Jack isn't but David kind of pissed me off too because you know there's a lot that goes on in the middle he charms her by taking her to have this like secret dinner in the White House kitchen when she doesn't want to eat what's served at this like very formal sit-down meal that's served you know they sort of have their ups and downs he's frustrated by the fact that she's like clearly so in love with Jack that she can't see how damaging some of his perspectives are and like how his whole rebel attitude is pretty bogus like that it becomes a point of contention between the two of them and there's like a lot of on and off in their friendship um Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's cool about their relationship is that it's so clear that she is letting herself kind of fall in love with David at sort of a subconscious level because she's so busy thinking that she's in love with Jack that like she actually confides in David and shares parts of her story that she wouldn't necessarily tell somebody who she thought that she was trying to impress. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. But by the end, it felt to me like David was telling her who she was supposed to be just as much as Jack. Like one of their final conversations before things start to turn around is, is him basically being like, I thought you were different, you know, with the boots and the black and all of that. I thought you were really, I don't know, the genuine article. I didn't know you were doing it all to get a guy. And he's I not hated wrong, that. but like uh-huh. you're telling her who she's supposed to be, just like Jack is. And and that yeah. made me angry. It made me angry that he was supposed to be like kind of the Prince Charming character. Yeah. Um, and like that scene from the quote you said, like that um, they were at a party or it, it was revealed that Sam like only brought really David to the party to make Jack jealous, which I really hated because at that point you like as of course as a reader you know that David really likes her and like you have this like okay you have to get together but yeah but of course she doesn't realize that or she does like I feel like the same quote was like copy and pasted like multiple times in this book that just like Sam's just like I can't possibly like David like I don't love him I love Jack and it's just yeah I just read it in this like like really like kind of like annoying voice and I'm like all right like David and like everyone else is telling her she needs to like wake up a little bit but yeah those were the 50 60 pages we probably could have streamlined yeah. um <laughs> but I just like was not that taken with David 
as an adult, I can't remember how I felt about him when I was a teen. Like, I'm sure that there was a part of him that was very appealing because he is this, like, guy that in some ways leads two lives. Like, he has to be super buttoned up when he's with his his family in the White House, but then he's, like, a little bit alternative in his spare time. And he does make some, like, really sweet gestures to Sam. And, I like, mm. objectively, he's the better choice, but I did not like his attitude toward her. Um, so I found sort of, like, the love story a little bit unsatisfying because, mm-hmm. like, I'm just not that thrilled by either of her choices. I do want to touch on the political aspect of this book before we start yes. to wrap up because it's really yeah. interesting. So one of the things that happens to Sam after she becomes national hero is that the White House makes her the kids ambassador to the UN or the teen ambassador to the UN. And in general, this is sort of a bogus job. Like she basically just sits around the White House with the press secretary once a week and like waits for them to tell her stuff to do. But her biggest job Mm -hmm. is to be the judge of this art show and to pick the best American submission to go and be part of the showcase in New York, which fits really well with her skill set and her passions and that's really cool so that she's excited about that but I think she's frustrated that she can't do more and the theme of the art show is the view from my window and Sam gets really attached to one submission by a girl named Maria Sanchez and this is how she describes it between the hanging sheets which were fluttering in an unseen breeze you could catch glimpses of this barbed wire fence a pretty far ways away but not far enough away that you couldn't see that there were people sneaking through this hole they had cut in the wire some people had already got through the hole and they were running away from men in brown uniforms who had guns and sticks and were chasing them Maria called her painting land of the free with a question mark (sighs) (laughs) some things just don't change yeah I honestly was like really shocked that this was a storyline um in the book as coming up about it as an adult reader I didn't remember reading this I guess storyline of the story um at all and I kind of love it you know, there's part of me I wish it was like a bigger part of it, but and then I guess it would be a completely different book. I really love how angry she got about it, about how like nobody wanting supported her opinion of this painting because it was too political. And this, I think this is like one of the only parts where I just really like stood behind her decision. I'm like, yes, I'm like, please like vote for this painting, you know, like please like stick your ground, you know? Yeah. Well, this is um, where we really see her growth. Like I think yes, way more exactly. than in the relationships way more than in her own art. Like, this is sort of where she finds herself and her voice, not to be totally cheesy, but, like, this is where she puts the lessons that she's learning from the art teacher to real use by being like, this is what I'm seeing is the best. Like, I don't care what other people are telling me, what they think they know about what I'm supposed to like. Like, I'm seeing Mm -hmm. this, and it's the best. Yeah, because it's not, like, the lighthouse or, like, the really pretty picture or, like, that, you know, it's very, like, American, maybe, in a way that the president wants, and it's not the painting that another half of, like, the art show storyline that Jack submitted, you know, it's not his teen angst, teens drinking at a 7-Eleven. Yeah, which he does not see outside his, like, you know, wealthy neighborhood's window. No, of course not. And this is, and she realizes that maybe she doesn't know that this is what this girl's seeing, but she trusts, like, her eye, and she trusts that this is, like, a really important thing for, like, the rest of the world to see, and I really like that, and I, like, love that growth. Yeah, I liked that it created some tension with the president, and that he, as you said initially, was like, you know, I'm I'm pulling rank here, like, ultimate Mm -hmm. rank as president, like, you can't pick this, (laughs) and then she decides to finally, like, channel her this power that she's gained in a productive way she realizes that she does have freedom of speech and like she can not stop like being like angsty about like being a celebrity and she can actually like do something good with it which is I think something that a lot of people with platforms can learn of course and although 
I don't think she initially does realize that on her own. David did tell her, like, remind her, like, oh, yeah. you have freedom of speech. But I think she interpreted it in a way of this, like, huge, dramatic press conference. And she, like, chose which anchor woman she wanted to talk to. Candace Wu was who she chose. And as you mentioned, like, she calls this. She finally is like, okay, like, we're having a press conference. And she basically shares like to the whole country oh like this is the painting that I wanted to pick and the president said said no and the mm-hmm. press secretary was there sort of like staffing the interview and has sort of this like oh shit moment and the president calls and is like oh like what are you talking about like of course I wanted Maria Sanchez's painting to win so mm-hmm. she gets what she wants there and then she also had asked Candace Wu to bring up David um and sort of like check in on the status of her relationship with David so it's kind of like a two birds one stone moment and that she also then gets to kind of like make her gesture about David on TV although I can't remember even exactly what she said but I guess she at least gets to like speak to their relationship in a public way and like let him know that she's still thinking about him which I think when you're 15 like sometimes that's all that's all that you need to be like I'm still thinking about you and like I'm yeah. I'm open to like sort of getting over whatever bullshit we had before and let's start it's over just, it's like you know the rom-com moment but I do, I do remember that Candace did say like like I guess their deal of her having on the show was she got to ask her about the relationship and then she talks about it but then she's like but I messed up but I want to save it and yes. I think that's very sweet I think especially like those like last like 20 pages of the book that I just really could just like see happening in like a movie adaptation today it's just like this big dramatic climax and I'm shocked there hasn't been an adaptation it would be interesting to have them adapt it but with the 2020 twist I mean I think we would have to wait a few years because I kept thinking like while this while I was reading this book like what if because it was clear that the that the president in this book had politics that perhaps ran counter to the politics in which Sam had been raised. It seemed like maybe the president was more conservative, at least sort of like based on our current understanding of the political landscape and the two-party system. And I was just thinking about like, what if the president in this story was more like our current president who has those politics, but um, sort of expresses them in a different way. And we don't need Mm -hmm. to get into the politics of it, of course, but I would be interested in like, if they were to adapt this book in 2020, 2021, like how they might address that so that kids who have been raised in this period would maybe understand more like what the relationship between Sam and the president was like because it it definitely would have resolved differently oh yeah I don't think it would have been as easily resolved and she probably would not have gotten her way um (laughs) yeah I would agree with you there I would definitely agree with you but I think like she figures out how to use the power of the press and her freedom Mm -hmm. of speech and in that way it's this very patriotic ending which I which I loved I also kept thinking about two books that I read last year um that I feel like everybody read last year but Red White and Royal Blue and American Royals and I feel like this book had some shades of both of those books in it and so I feel like maybe that trend is coming back a little bit can I talk about one more thing yes please okay getting back to the assassin I just had one note where are you a musical fan yeah okay so there is uh did I oh yeah I totally flagged this so when they're going back and when she finds out of why um Wayne Rogers the assess oh Larry oh yeah that Larry was his name. Wayne Rogers like what a name he attempted to shoot the president because he was trying to impress Christy Brinkley who is Billy and Joel's ex-wife so that's why he played Uptown Girl so like they would notice him as like the guy who wanted to do that which is a direct plot from Assassin's the Musical oh Um, really I have not seen that and I have not listened to the soundtrack but I might have to now oh yeah it's basically just about about people who assassinate or like attempt to assassinate presidents successfully or non-successfully 
and just like why they do it. But it's just to like impress celebrities, basically. Oh, um, wow. So Good I think that was really funny. I wonder if whoever wrote that musical, I mean, I don't know when it was written, but I wonder if they were inspired by this book. No, the musical came out before the book. Oh, yeah. Well, I it's don't want to like, say that Meg Cabot stole it from Assassins, but it seems pretty similar. Seems like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Meg Cabot. Please come on SSR someday. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. It would be, be amazing. On yeah. the whole, Ashley, do you feel like reading this book as an adult, has it has it held up for you in some ways and always, or has it, has it disappointed you? I just love to get a sense of like how it compares to your memory of reading it when you were a kid. I think it definitely held up. I had so much fun revisiting this and just, I don't know, sometimes when I, when books like really attach to me, like I think of like certain scenes, for example, when she first walks in the art class and just sees David wearing the Save Fair shirt, I was like, whoa. And I got like weird deja vu. Like I just had clearly remembered that. And I think it was really fun just to kind of dive into just the fun of just reading about a teen girl finding like choosing between two boys. I haven't just had went through like a fun read like that in a while. So Yeah. I loved it. Good. I'm I would, so I would probably revisit it again. Um. <laughs> well, I didn't know there was a sequel. Yeah. Did you know there was I, a sequel? I didn't know that until I was, like, reading it again or looking this up. But yeah, I kind of read it. Yeah, 2005. It was called Ready or Not. And then they also she also wrote a short story called Another All-American Girl that was included in what looks like maybe a collection of White House stories. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. What else have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our SSR listeners? Does not have to be YA, um, doesn't have to be new. Whatever you're reading and loving is fair game. The most recent series that I loved was called A Darker Shade of Magic. It's like a fantasy YA, YA-esque series and it's very fun. I, it has a lot of like really good world building, which I really love. And I feel like also this book really sets up like a specific world too. So if you're looking for somewhere, it's something to like escape to with a lot of fantasy and a lot of magic, I definitely recommend. I read it last year and then I reread the series last winter just because it was just so much fun just to dive into. I've heard good things about that series. I haven't read it yet, but I think I've, I've gotten that recommendation from a few people. So maybe I, I need to check it out. Yes. Other than that, I think it's my new year's goal to like read a lot more i'm gonna think i'm gonna read like 30 books it's like my, my beginning that's good yeah because last year i just watched netflix i think a lot and i'm embarrassed to say but it happens but i got sucked into a lot too many binges um but maybe just enough <laughs> maybe it's okay <laughs> it's okay it happens yeah, to the best of us. another recommendation i have you know, listeners are looking for some more teen drama and angst to like listen to or watch. Um, I recommend Spitting Out, which is a new Netflix. Oh, you're. <laughs> yeah. I haven't. I know I'm nodding okay. as if I've watched it. So I haven't watched it. But January Jones was like making all of the podcast rounds last week or, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And then all uh-huh. of the episodes featuring her interviews dropped last week. So she was on Armchair Expert. She was on Nick Vial from the Bachelors podcast, which I'm embarrassed to admit that I am a regular listener of and she was on another show and so I like listened to all of these January Jones interviews about it and it sounds really good is it is it mm-hmm. actually good it's a good watch I wouldn't say it's like you know award worthy but it's very <laughs> fun and it's just it's like a really like good escapism just to deal with drama um I feel a lot of it they like, try to deal with mental health in a way that's like very dramatic but I don't think because the mom January Jones's character and um the daughter both um have bipolar and I think it's just a little too heavy-handed, um, and they don't go about it in the right way. But hmm. it's still fun and worth it if you're looking for something dumb 
and fun to watch. <laughs> well, I'm getting on a flight tomorrow morning, and I was thinking about either downloading Spinning Out or Cheer, because I've heard good things about that. So I am also currently watching Cheer. Um, good? I'm, yeah. I'm on the second episode right now, and it's very, like, Friday Night Lights, but, like, real life-esque. It's very good. All right. Well, by the time this episode drops, I'll be a couple of weeks out from said flight, so maybe I'll be able to report back on which series I tried to get into on this flight so listeners tune in to find out more about which show I watched because I'm sure you all really care but in (laughs) any case I'll include links to all of your recommendations in the show notes for this episode along with a link to All American Girl for those who want to revisit it I'm also going to include a link to a playlist that Ashley currently has in the works inspired by All American Girl I love that you came up with this idea thank you so much for doing that Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, that's one thing I didn't um, mention before. But while reading this, it made me realize, like, a thing that I did when I was younger was just making playlists of books that I read, I think. I think it might have started over, like, uh, like a book assignment back in, like, middle school. I guess when middle school teachers were trying to be, like, cool, they are like, make a mixed CD or mixtape of, like, songs that inspired you or, like, that remind, that make you think of, like, the characters in this book. And, of course, this book is just full of music. Like, she's obsessed with going to Stefani and No Doubt and I was just while reading it I just kind of like started writing down like um, like No Doubt songs that she probably was obsessed with and which ones like maybe have to deal with her life right now so yeah that's to come um, there's a lot of yeah a lot of Save Ferris a lot of No Doubt nice a lot of getting in some deep scoffs there's like Ooh. Less Than Jake and <gasps> then there I put some like Letters to Cleo in there I was getting yeah I listened to a lot of, a lot Less, of Less Than Jake in FYE stores, actually, to circle back to yeah. like, the beginning of our conversation. Like, that was definitely one of the CDs that I was like, cool people like this music. And then I would go and I'd listen to it and I'd be like, do I like this music and I have to buy it with my allowance? Like, I don't know. I think I eventually did. Yeah. So I'm very excited to listen to that playlist. Such a fun extra for the listeners this week. It was so fun talking with you. And um, I'm excited for people to hear our full deep dive into All American Girl. I am so excited as well. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for reading the book, for taking this walk down memory lane with me, for talking about FYE and Roller Coaster Tycoon and Teen Angst and all the fun things. I loved it. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.